podcast for curious minds. And here's your host, Gary Cacciolio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening. And also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, our guest for today is Mark Florentino, and he has come up with a unified field theory based on some of Einstein's theories, and he is here to talk about that and some of the advancements that he has made in the last few months. Thanks for coming back on. Oh, thank you for having me, Gary. Good to be here. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning a little bit, because uh, just give it a little bit of an overview of what your research entails and what your theory actually is. Sure. It started when I was a child, about 10 years old. Um, kind of a fluke thing got me into it, something to do with uh, the nuns at my church getting uh, us interested in a saint born on our birthday. I didn't find one born on my birthday, but Albert Einstein was, so I read about him, and that's how I got into it. And over the years, I casually studied uh, uh, physics, science in general, fell in love with all of science pretty much, and then I got into studying UFOs and then tried to relate, see patterns and how UFOs work, thinking obviously they've solved the unified field theory problem, the aliens. And so they have discovered anti-gravity, and that's going to be part of the unified field theory someday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working on that premise over the years, I, I continue to study the masters of physics, like Faraday and Maxwell and Newton and Lorenz and Einstein, of course, who most of my theory really is an extension of his work. I continue to follow his path. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Unfortunately, really, nobody else did. They just thought he was, you know, in his later days, they just kind of ignored him. And um, he, because he had problems with quantum mechanics, and, and, and he should have, because it's not a theory that's ever going to lead to a theory of everything, because it really doesn't tell you how things work. Right. Uh, and um, so I continued following his path. Learned a lot, and I always was reading, trying to get knowledge of what he was thinking, what his ideas about the geometry of space were in particular, because that's the fundamental field. And we build, and the theory of super relativity builds from the fundamental field, which is the ether. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of work that I did. I made sure this theory makes sense and it's simple. And so, I proceeded through and uh, finally uh, completed everything in the late days of my life here now, in my uh, around 60 or so. I uh, started on the, on the book and 
wrapped it up in four years after a ton of research. Thank you, Internet, for <laughs> providing all of those resources that Einstein never had. Had he had that kind of resource and had he known about the quarks inside of neutrons and protons, I am sure he would have solved the unified field theory himself. He was just born a little too early. Hmm. Interesting. But, yeah, that's how I got into it. So, you know, some of the basic questions that I always have on physics is what is gravity and what is time and how do they relate to each other? Well, time, in my theory, I kind of agree with Einstein a little bit and kind of disagree a little bit. Time really isn't a real thing. It only exists because there's real physical distance and it takes amount of time for uh, a, a certain finite rate of speed to travel some distance. Distance equals rate times time. Right. Now, now what is the gravity is is a little trickier, but it's got to do with the geometry of space, which Einstein himself caught on to and discovered the key um, thing that got him into relativity, general relativity, was actually from something that came from um, special relativity, an idea that first Max Born discovered and then um, Ehrenfest two people that he knew pretty well and um, I'll read to you what he uh, his happiest thought that this is going to describe how gravity works according to the super relativity theory according to what Einstein was also researching along that same path Einstein followed a line of reasoning that began with his happiest thought of his life still at the Swiss patent office he conducted one of his famous thought experiments Einstein imagined a circle spinning in space. The center of the circle did not move, but its circumference was moving quickly in a circular direction. So he's doing a mind experiment. Einstein compared what happened in several reference frames, a standard tool he had used in developing the special relativity theory. This is very important, this next line. He concluded, using his special relativity, that the boundary of the disk contracted as it spun. So I extended that idea. I says, I understand. He found a way to bend space. He found a way to contract it. And, you know, this is called the, the Ehrenfest paradox, mm -hmm. this whole thing. that and, and Einstein wrote about this in several papers. He saw something that really nobody else did. What if, and I think this is what he was thinking, it's certainly what I, is what I did in my paper. I says, let's... Forget a big spinning disk. What if we use particles that are rotating, spinning very close together, like inside of the neutron and proton? And I use this same formulation, this same idea that we're talking about right here, and I use it to bend space, to form mass. So to finish this, there was a force acting on a circle at the boundary. Uh, the centrifugal force and its action was uh, analogous to that of the gravitational force but the same contraction that affected the outer circle left the diameter unchanged thus Einstein concluded in a way that surprised even him the ratio of the circle to the diameter was no longer pi he deduced that the presence of a gravitational field uh, the geometry of space was non-euclidean it was bent 
and most importantly, it was bent in a certain way. It was contracted, mm-hmm. and I ran with that. So, and so in my so so is that why the idea of black holes having a whole bunch of gravity can actually bend time? Well, what it does. I'm going to give you an example. It's going to make a lot of sense. You're going to see it's not really time that's being affected. It's the rate of clock speed. Mm -hmm. So imagine, you know, I'm talking about contracted space, which means in a region where there's a big gravitational field, that space is contracted and it's it's condensed. It's um, denser. So that if you fire a light beam through this area where it's denser, it takes more time. It looks like the light beam is slowing down. Mm-hmm. It takes more time because there's more stuff between here and here now. Right. So the light beam hits the gravitational field and it goes, and when it gets out of the field, that's because there's more space. It's really going the same speed. But the problem is there's a lot more space between here and here now. So the clocks that are operating in a, an intense gravitational field, the little, all the atoms and all the electrons that are moving, they're affected by the gravitational field, that contraction of space. They actually appear to slow down. So the clock slows down. So the stronger the gravitational field, and they've done this ex- these experiments and confirmed this. Mm-hmm. When you put something in a strong va- gravitational field, the clock will slow down. What physicists then say, time is slowing down. See, and I, it's a little point that I, I argue, you really can't affect time. Because time isn't a real thing. Yeah, like what is time anyway? Is time just a measurement? It's, it's, yeah, it's an interval. It's from, if you're like saying, you're, you're interval, you're tracking an event of some sort. So you have something that's passing one point, and when it gets to the other point, that takes so much time. That's a time interval. If speed of light were infinitely fast, there would be no time because everything would happen at the same moment. Time would become absolute across the whole universe according to our instrumentations. But that's not what happens. Speed of light has a fixed maximum speed. So we can track time. It becomes relative to the thickness of space. In my theory, the thicker the space, the slower the time is because the clocks run slower. And I want to make this clear. If we do the twin paradox experiment and one guy is moving away from the other guy at the speed of light for an hour and then he comes back at the speed of light for an hour, his clock's basically going to be st- frozen for two hours. This, the guy on Earth, his clock is going to proceed. So it's going to look like you know, the guy in the spaceship is in the past, but he's not. When he gets back there, if you're watching the whole thing from another viewpoint, stationary as well, and you see what happens, the guy that's clock is not moving when he's going back and forth, he never leaves current time. You can still see him and the other guy waiting for him on the planet Earth. And when he gets back, he's in the exact same moment as the guy on Earth. The only difference is his clock stopped. So it's not really time that is affected. It's what the, the measurements that the clocks themselves 
slow down and it's a, it has a mechanical reason behind it mm-hmm. but that's got all twisted into oh well, yeah he, he his time didn't go for him and and technically speaking all the atoms in his body all the molecules all the electrons they all slow down to the point where all their forward motion in the direction they're going has occupied all the motion of all of the particles and they can't really move much anymore because they're all going at the speed of light in this direction and there's a maximum speed anything can go so there's kind of an inertial thing happening that's really basically causing that ship to flatten out the clock to stop all these Lorentz transformations are happening but time is a bigger thing than even all that when I just described because when you go and look beyond our reality, the bigger reality, the afterlife, they say time doesn't exist. God is outside of time. The afterlife is outside of time. It's all happening, as they have said, all at once. There's right. only the moment. So it's a, it's a complicated thing, uh, especially if you're willing to leave the physical material world. The only reason we experience time here is because space is a real physical object, and it takes a finite amount of time for things to move within it. And so we, ha- and then that causes time intervals to be observable. And then we have the the feeling of time. We can say this event happened first, and then this event happened after that. So it's a tricky business. But um, basically, that's how I see time, and that's how it's explained in the book. I even, you know, spend the whole chapter explaining time <laughs> because, I, you know, like you, I wanted to to really understand it. And when I, you know, studied NDEs, which is part of what I did for my book, uh, I, you know, looked for answers to questions like that. Looked for the bigger picture because time belongs to the bigger picture not just to the unified field theory and to the material realm. Uh, it's an interesting uh, concept and it's an interesting phenomena. And it's different here on this side than it is on the other side. Interesting. It gives me a couple of questions. Um, one is you mentioned if, if we're moving through space, we hit this, you know, density we it appears the clock will slow down now what if we could manipulate that density to become the opposite which would be less dense and less existent could we possibly even go faster than the speed of light by changing the 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 density of where what the the matter of what the light is passing through and then your other thing that you're talking about is about the out-of-body experiences and things like that. And I've had um, my own experience with a, an epileptic seizure where I was out for about 30 minutes. It seemed like a second, um, but but I was still completely conscious, you know. But I was it was an incredible experience, honestly. It was, it was amazing. And um, one of the weird things that really happened though with that was. Um, you know, you mentioned like everything happening at once. If everything's happening at once, one of the things that kind of goes along with that is that there are multiple bees experiencing all these different probabilities as well. And when I had that seizure, about a week later, I got a book in the mail from Oxford University called Time Paradoxes. 
and the, the date on the receipt was six months in the future. So I had come to this idea that possibly during the seizure, I may have entered a future self and somehow mailed myself a book back in time. That's weird. <laughs> That's so, amazing. So, so, so how can something like that happen? And, and, and is it my idea of, of like less density? Make, can, can that make something go quicker than the speed now, of light did and you, increase time? Did you read my book? Because that's what you're describing is exactly what's in my book. No, I haven't actually read the book yet. <laughs> All right. See, you're understanding what I'm saying. And then you worked out what would be necessary to make to be able to go faster in life. It's precisely what has got to happen. What you have to do is stretch space. And because um, that's the opposite of contraction. Mm-hmm. If contraction slows time down and slows the speed of light down. Uh, in the medium of space, which is the ether, if that in, is indeed happening, which the evidence seems to say it is, then if we can stretch space, and I'm going to give you the details, of what's in my book that corresponds to exactly what you just said, which is 100% correct. You have to stretch space. How do you do that? Actually, it's pretty easy. You use a magnetic field. And, and, and that, is why for years I wondered, you know, when I'm reading these UFO books and stuff, and I'm saying, they're talking about UFOs under this, you know, it's, it's affecting cars, making them stall. I'm an electronic technician. I know if you have a moving magnetic field, it will reduce voltages and currents and wiring. And it would cause the car to, to stall the radio to change frequency or have hum on it. All these things are evidence of strong magnetic fields and even in some reports they they talk directly that the, the like a physicist was looking at a ufo through sunglasses and he saw that there was some um, strands bands of of light and dark which indicated that the light is polarized and that happens under the influence of strong magnetic fields michael faraday found that out eons ago and, and so there's much more indication the uf air force used to go and measure uh ufo landing sites they took a magnometer a device that measures magnetic fields and in some cases they found the grass at the landing site was magnetized so after many years of thought i says why are they using magnetic fields for anti-gravity the reason is a magnetic field is a rotation of space like this mm-hmm. and that causes um the space to stretch and when you cause space to stretch and you thin it out you affect two things called permittivity and permeability of free space and those numbers determine their their actual properties of space the ether and if you change those numbers make them diminish how do you make them diminish you stretch space so a magnetic field does that for you. So if you introduce a magnetic field to a region of space, it rotates, and in the process it stretches, permittivity and permeability drop. The speed of light, C, equals 1 over the square root of permittivity times permeability. When those numbers decline, you get to the point where you're almost at 1 divided by 0. And if either one of those goes to 0, the speed of light goes infinitely fast. So you buy a space using, or we buy a space using a magnetic field, 
we stretch it apart, permittivity and permeability drop. Now the speed, the maximum speed changes. And if you're inside, enveloped by this magnetic field, and you use shielding uh, to prevent it from getting into the center of the ship, you still get the benefits of that stretching of space, which cannot be shielded. Mm -hmm. So you have an environment where you're weightless, your anti-gravity is blocking gravitational fields coming from the Earth, and you can use it for propulsion by making a gradient field. And you could go very fast, as fast as you want. You can get from one planet to another in a very short time, because all you got to do is dial up the intensity of the magnetic fields across the ship. And most ships are cigar-shaped, the, the, the mother ships. Good reason for that, because you got rings where the magnetic coils are. One, two, three, four, and you, you have one, and you turn them on in a sequence. And, uh, and you can actually see this in some UFO footage where you see these rings lighten up across the ship and it's zipping this way and zipping that way. And, um, which kind of confirms what I'm talking about. And when you do those in a sequence, or you, you uh, structure where the strongest is on the back end, uh, the strongest magnetic field is on the back end, and the weaker one is on this end, you'll have propulsion in that direction. So everything you need to break the light speed barrier, to go to other star systems, and I'm not talking taking, you know, at the speed of light, that's way too slow. It takes 4.2 years to get the Proxima Centauri at the speed of light. We can't do that. That's ridiculous. We need to get there in 15, 20 minutes. And with this starship, that's entirely possible. And it's really, you want to get there fast because traveling beyond the speed of light is very dangerous. If you lose the field while you're at warp speed, let's call it that, <laughs> uh, it's fatal. You, you, you have to slow the ship down before you shut down the magnets. So you want to really get where you're going in a hurry so that, you know, minimizes your chances of having some really bad accidents. But um, <clears throat> you brought up a really great point. I mean, you deduced it all yourself because you understand what I was saying earlier. And that's how I got to the same idea. I says, hey, if gravity is a contraction of space, anti-gravity is going to be an expansion of space. So I looked about how that could be done. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Is that is that what happened during the Philadelphia experiment? And was that what they were actually shooting for, do you think? Do you think they were really trying to make a ship invisible, or do you think they were trying to they were testing some other theory with magnetic fields? Um I think they were, according to the what I understand, trying to make it invisible. And that you, you were using a magnetic resonant resonant field probably sweeping back and forth and that kind of messes with uh structures you know especially metallic structures and stuff and and they had a lot of problems with people sinking into the bulkheads and stuff it was a mess uh you gotta watch out with magnetic resonant fields because that can open up to interdimensional things which is what some of the sailors claim they saw aliens and ufos the 10 minutes or so they were in this time fluxed uh and um actually the philadelphia experiment was the first experiment that led to after they saw 
it would make the, the ship radar invisible, but it made it entirely invisible and wasn't stable. Not a place you can um, survive. You really needed to shield the crew from the intense magnetic field, and they didn't do that. They were in it, and that didn't work out well for them. So, no, the Philadelphia experiment I classify was the first experiment that led to the Stargate, which I talk about in the book, mm-hmm. uh, because they realized that they could uh, open up a portal to other dimensions and and go through time. And eventually they've switched, I believe, to a new technology that uh, uses um, metamaterials in the Stargate frame. And uh, now they... They do. I assume that they're doing time travel and interdimensional travel, and it's another way for, to, from getting from here to there in a very rapid manner. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's an exciting <laughs> technology that I would love to see myself. Especially, I would love to see how they worked out the tuning so that they can open up a portal. Because what you do, just like on a TV show, they kind of walk right through. And you're somewhere else or some other time, which I don't really like going back in time because I think that's morally wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but certainly going ahead of time might be exciting. But the mm-hmm. future is a very difficult thing to mess with because it's still in a state of probability. Uh, you know, it's always being created as we are uh, doing things and making decisions. Uh, and so you could say like the future really is kind of in motion and doesn't set until we get closer and closer. And then it starts to solidify mm-hmm. into, you know, a destiny or a, um, a reality. Uh, but the further out you go, the, the more possibilities you have of things being different. Right. So it's a, it's a tricky business, but. Right. That's uh, the Philadelphia experiment. They stumbled, the U.S. Navy stumbled on a way to create stargates. Do you think it's any coincidence that the Philadelphia experiment and the Manhattan Project both came out of the Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton, where Einstein was? He's I heard that he was a part of the Philadelphia experiment. I don't know if he was there that they they conducted or not. He did some of the math. Uh, basically, um, I think was calculating how the light particles of photons would bend in the magnetic field. I mean, that's the whole point of the thing was, you know, you're shooting a radar beam at another ship in the ocean. If you can bend the space with a magnetic field so that the radar you know doesn't bounce off and come straight back if you bend the the photon so they go out like that mm-hmm. the radar will see nothing you'll get no return the ship will be there but you got a this big magnetic field and you're making the photons do this you never get a return back to the radar system and i think that's what they were trying to do so with this stargaze that they have now um, like, what do you think they're do? I mean, if the government has this technology of using stargaze and is capable of traveling possibly through time and dimensions, um, one, like, what do you think they would use it for? 
And the other thing, like you mentioned too, about going forward and backward in time, like forward, like would be interesting, backward could be dangerous. In my mind, when I look at it, um, we're, we're living in a world of infinite probabilities. So either way, whether we're moving forward or backward in time, we're just creating more probabilities in the whole scheme of things where, where everything is actually happening at once. And we're just creating another algorithm, basically. Yeah, time is a tricky business and you can kind of get circular in the logic if, you know, the paradoxes start to open up and um, it's hard to uh, say, you know, you know, is the butterfly effect is really as powerful an influence as we think it might be, you know, somebody goes back a hundred years and assassinates somebody who was going to do something and then that becomes natural history and we never know the difference. Uh, and I don't know, I, you know, it makes me very nervous to think about going back in time. You better be really good at it because if you're not, things are going to get messed up and you, it's possible to come completely pollute the timeline to the to the point where something really bad happens mm-hmm. um, it's just speculation on my part without actually observing them doing you know some small experiments like going back a day just one day or something doing something and seeing the difference like you know okay we on this day uh, we we uh, went to, oh, I don't know, to the store and we and we bought a, a TV and we have it and we stored it in our warehouse one day. Then we go back in time and we don't buy that TV. And uh, then we go back into the current time. Will the TV be there in the warehouse or not? You know, it shouldn't be there if we went back and changed the the event in the past uh i don't know it's it's it makes me dizzy to think about it too much (laughs) because you know it's like a twilight zone episode you know it could be a very wicked surprise in there somewhere that something happens that you really don't expect Mm -hmm. wow um so if we're we go back in time and we change something like in my opinion is I'm just going to assume that's just going to create a parallel timeline. It's just going to take its own course because there's a chance that there's multiple me's out there living in different timelines. All those things that probably are existing anyway. Um, so it might not actually be dangerous. It's probably already happened or, or is happening. Um, the other thing that, that I think about, cause you and I are sort of around, around close to the same age. Um, sometimes I look around and I feel like, um, I'm living in a different world than the one I lived in 30 years ago. Right. You know, and sometimes I wonder like, 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 did something happen? Did we jump into a different timeline? Did we move into another dimension? Why are things so different? in such an extreme way than what they were before. And that's just based on a personal experience. I don't know if you've had that experience and never questioned it. The only thing that I've noticed is kind of similar to what you're saying, that I've noticed 
like in this town that I'm living in now, the feel of it is very, very much different than it was in 1965 when I first moved here. I could feel the past. I, I could, you know, it was still like, it was only, a, you know, about a hundred years since the Civil War. And there were some houses here that still had muskets in them from the Civil War. And when, you know, it was still old Southern feel to it. And um, you felt that. It felt, it felt like Florida, really, you know, back, back when Florida was, you know, still young and, and, and it had a, the town itself, Winter Haven, had a, a different feel than it does now. Now it's sort of bland. It doesn't really have that old Southern character. It's just like any other town sort of feel. And you, you can't really feel the past anymore. It's just uh, the people and, and the, all the changes in the buildings and everything affect the feeling of an area as we move forward in time. So that's a little similar to what you're saying, but as we move forward, the things feel different mm -hmm. um, from when we remember in our early life. Like even in New Jersey, I'm, I'm sure my old hometown is, feels nothing like it did when I was a kid, uh, wandering around freely, going to the lake and <laughs> going to the school on my own without having my parents drive me because everybody's now afraid to take their kids to let their kids walk to school. Um, all this stuff is just different. It's, you know, the whole culture is shifted and, and it affects uh, the way time feels to me. Hmm. Do you think that it's pop? What, another question, actually, before I go any further down that road, um, I've had some conversations with other guests since the last time we talked and I also took a, a course on remote viewing. And one of the things that, that came up is that there might be one other, one of the things that might be faster than the speed of light is the speed of thought. Yeah, consciousness on the other side. Mm -hmm. It's instantaneous. As soon as you have a thought, it's there. And if you want to go somewhere, it happens like that. You think it and you're there. It's infinitely fast but when you get in the spiritual realm all those kind of things is possible and i've given that some thought and i says well maybe it's because there is no real space there you know there is just this energy of consciousness and there's no limitation to how fast it moves if you have the capability of moving infinitely fast remember i mentioned that earlier time comes it's strange because you it becomes absolute it come everything is all so all of a sudden happening at the same moment everywhere in the universe so if you're you know 50,000 light years away and an explosion goes off we see it here instantly so you know time is going to be a little weird because now everything is happening at the same moment in the whole universe so <laughs> time is a odd thing but because we have physical things going on here, it limits the rate or the flow of time. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas on the other side, like you say, thought is, you know, you think it, and they've said this over and over again in NDEs. I think it, and 
I'm, I'm traveling through the universe. I'm outside of our whole universe looking at it as just this little ball of light. And they get there instantaneously. And they can see other little universes at, at great distances going on forever, one after another, after another, after another. We're talking, when we get to the other side, we're talking about God, an infinite being with infinite intelligence and eternal. There's no limit to what you can experience you know we here in this material world with these finite brains and minds and all throttled down our consciousness bolted into this suit of flesh here uh we're very limited so these concepts are really difficult to deal with when we're in the body but once we get out and we become spiritual again we're connected to the source god and we have the similar capabilities of being able to go anywhere and see anything and think anything. It's, it's, uh, takes my breath away sometimes. <laughs> so, so with the UFO idea, do you think, uh, like you mentioned your, uh, you know, your idea of them being scar, scar shaped and manipulating the magnetic fields um, that would obviously be the way that they're going to do it if they're going to travel physically through the universe that way. Do you think it is possible that they're able to utilize not just physics, like physical physics, but also the conscious physics so they can manipulate not just the magnetic fields to move a physical ship through space and time, but maybe they can also use consciousness somehow also along with that to, 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 um, end up where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I think the very, very advanced ones use more of the uh, consciousness and the mental, the psychic abilities, uh, along with the ship capabilities. Because they, I've talked to some abductees, and uh, one very, very credible one from, I believe she's from New Zealand, uh, said, you know, while she's on the ship, that... Um, if they want to take a shortcut and get back to where she's at and they're on the other side of the planet, they can go right straight through the planet. That's pretty tricky. And and it's like they're doing something together and she watches them in this vortex forms. It's like they're using their minds to do this. And they talk about when they abduct them that they, they take the people and they're able to pull them out of their bed right through the wall mm -hmm. or right through the window uh, that's that takes some pretty powerful psychokinetic abilities you know you just have to realize that these people are more than likely millions of years more evolved just think you know our psychics now what they can do remote viewing all the stuff we're just getting started can you imagine how good we're going to be in a million years from now well these people these aliens, the greys, whatever, they're already there. You know, they got the bigger head, which I have a feeling has a lot to do with their psychic capabilities. Mm -hmm. They have, uh, they talk about, these abductees talk about, they have neural interfaces where, you know, they ju are just thinking things and affecting steering the ship or, or making things come up and are viewable. There's all kinds of interfaces that you know like we're just getting started with with you know flying jet planes by by putting a, a thing over your head and oh. reading your mind uh, well all your electrical impulses 
you have to be very disciplined in your thought to actually fly a plane with that method. You know, you get distracted. <laughs> you know, you that, we're not there yet. I, we may have the technology that makes that happen, but unless you got a specially trained pilot that has very strong thought discipline, it's not safe. But these guys can do it like, you know, they're almost godlike compared to us. To to watch them do these things, pulling people through walls, flying straight through the earth to get to the other side. So <laughs> this is not stuff I really dealt with in my book, but I became aware of it mm -hmm. by talking with these people, you know, researching to see what they are capable of. And, and maybe there's a way to do that with the slip wave, which is the te technology that I use to create the spatial bias drive, which is what they're using. Uh, they're not using rockets or, or anything like that. It's a spatial bias drive, uh, which means it's bending space in order to propel the ship and to cancel gravity. And that's, and obviously we don't see little jets and rockets normally coming out of UFOs, they're bending space somehow so that they, uh, you know, float and cancel gravity and propel their ships. That's the, um, that's the way of the future. And someday that's going to, I hope that'll be commercially available so that um, we will be safe. And just in case this planet becomes uninhabitable by some great natural disaster. Oh, it's sure um, to happen eventually. It's, yeah, of course. Uh, just look at all the other uh, civilizations that folded up and left town, you know, eons ago. You know, they're buried under, you know, 20 or 30 feet of dirt. How did that happen? How did these buildings get underground? <laughs> there must have been some serious stuff going on for that to happen. There's other places, civilizations underwater. Uh, this planet, tectonically speaking, is dangerously active uh you don't see mars ripping up with all kinds of volcanoes and everything like we have you don't see the plates moving i don't think we got a very unstable core and that could lead to some catastrophic problems with super volcanoes and stuff at any moment and i'd like it so that we you know if we had to leave we could do it. We can colonize on another planet. You know, it's, it's just all about saving the species here. And uh, we need to get on the move. So so what is this device that you have in mind? Oh, it's, it's called the Slipwave Spatial Bias Drive. And it's basically what I described to you with mm -hmm. the magnetic field. And I got the idea from studying particles. Uh, because there's a flaw in physics where they don't talk about what causes the motion of particles. And, and, and it's actually a branch of physics called kinematics, which basically is the branch of mechanics concerned with the motion of objects without re reference to the forces which cause the motion. So like how a particle moves. You're going to get all kinds of ideas that don't make sense if you talk to somebody in quantum physics. Well, they don't really move, you know, they just, they're at different probabilities of being at this location or this. We don't know how they get there, but, th you know, that's the way they're going to talk about it. You're going to avoid the obvious thing that if you look in the cloud chamber and you see the little 
mist going by as their particles are shooting, you can see that they have a velocity and a location and they're moving in a direction. So stop with this probability of them being here and there. They're, mo they're in motion. The, the key is they don't know how particles move. They have autonomous motion. And so I, I went about solving that problem. And that's what I call the slip wave. And, and it works very simply. You know, I spend a chapter or so explaining it, but it all has to do with the structure of the particle. The structure of the particle itself, the electrostatic field, which is the primary field of force, is a geometry. It's a vortex geometry. And a vortex is like a little, you know, a tornado, right? gets bigger it's stretching starting a little bit at the beginning stretches more stretches more stretches more now you have a gradient field where it's really stretching bulging here at the back end mm -hmm. and it's only a little bit of stretching at the pointy end and so it's like a bubble in the medium of space this bubble is pushing out and it goes that's the slip wave we use the same technology same technique with the magnetic field we cause it to stretch at the back end of the ship so that it is propelled in the same manner using a magnetic field, uh, which only happens when charges move. So you use electrons to build a strong, powerful magnetic field, and um, you can cause space to stretch just like uh, the, the particle does on its own using just an electrostatic field. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to eliminate kinematics. You have to know, for a unified field theory, you have to know how particles move. Don't believe me? I'll prove it to you. Let's look at the guy, the expert himself, Albert Einstein, unified field theory of gravitation and electricity. At July 25th, 1925, he puts a paper out. The last two sentences are this in this paper. Nevertheless, I'm still far away from claiming the physical validity of the equations I derived. The reason for that is that I did not succeed in deriving equations of motion for particles yet. He has the same idea. He knew. You, you can't ignore that. Because the particles in motion is what makes mass. It what makes the magnetic field. Because when electrons which are vortex shapes are moving and they got this vortex twist to it the space rotates around the particle the magnetic field appears so we already know this since faraday it's a proven rock solid fact and you know scientists at this time stopped thinking along these terms fields ethers you know things bending and stuff i just went back to the basic and said hey you know these guys had it right they just didn't work out the math. They just didn't have enough information. We have enough information now. So the only other field that needed to be created was, well, how is an electromagnetic field, a particle that's, you know, both electrostatic and magnetic, they all are, how does that create a gravitational field, a contraction of space? And so that was very simply worked out by me. And it's a Basically, gravity is caused by the accelerated motion of fundamental unbalanced charges. When they move like that, when charges move in this way, they cause the space in and around the particle to contract. Gravity is a contraction of spatial uh, medium. 
That's the same thing Einstein's happiest thought is. There's acceleration. It's not explicitly said here, but circular, there's something moving in a quickly in a circular direction. That's accelerated motion. And so realizing that now acceleration, you know, Einstein's equivalence principle, it kind of makes sense. Acceleration was always the key to gravity. When particles accelerate through space, their mass increases. And in fact, if they're just charged when they start out, they will have a mass because of their motion through space because the space around that particle that's moving in a circular manner like a quark or an electron, it's going to develop mass just by virtue of moving in an accelerated manner in that space. It's a simple, hmm. logical, verifiable, mathematically verifiable uh, system. And it makes so much sense. I'm saying, how the hell did they not figure this out? Maybe they have. And they just Maybe have they it. have, and then somebody ignored them. I, you know, I or, keep looking, or, or they're you know, just I keeping look. it to themselves. Well, I would think that the guys that are building the UFOs for us over in the Air Force and the Navy or whatever, the aliens probably clued them in on all of this. And mm-hmm. they just classified it all. You know, this is a different time. You know, if Einstein came in this time and had this stuff, you know, I'm surprised they haven't messed with me yet. But if Einstein came and said, hey, this is how it all works and this is how anti-gravity works, you say, nice job, Albert. You, you can't write that up. You're working for us now, and that's classified. Mm-hmm. And so all the guys that are working on anti-gravity uh, and all these different – and there's a list of them. <laughs> a lot of companies are doing – anti-gravity research if it was all a bunch of hocus pocus why are so many companies why is ufs air force have all these companies working on anti-gravity technology it's a list this long (laughs) (laughs) you know how long are they going to keep us in the dark you know i think we're beyond that do they have it or not of course they do they're keeping us in the dark uh why because it's a strategic military advantage they have. They have a technology that can quite literally fly circles around missiles and jets. And, boy, they could shoot them down in a hurry if they had to. So, you know, they're going to keep it. And they've done a great job at keeping it a secret. What if Einstein does exist now and is alive now in a different time, in this timeline. Maybe he found a way to travel forward in time to get information and is still existing in a different timeline. Well, I'm pretty sure time, uh, Albert Einstein passed away. Maybe one of April. them did. <laughs> well, maybe there's more. Yeah, I, you know, I'm familiar with that. I, it makes me nervous when I think about the <laughs> the infinite amount of other universes with the infinite amount of other us's all doing different things every second. It's mind-boggling. And, and it could actually be that way. I don't know. Uh, it's <laughs> it's just, you know, the, the thing about thinking about infinite, I know it's, in, it's infinite. I just don't know to what degree. 
you know, the superverse is. Uh, you know, to me, I, I try to limit it to an idea where there's just other universes, there's not duplicate me's, and, but there might be, you know, and I keep looking for that while I read NDEs mm -hmm. to see if anybody says, oh, yeah, well, I, I have heard of one NDE where Jesus claims he's, uh, I think it was oh, Howard Storm's NDE, very famous NDE, where Jesus tells him, I've been to every planet everywhere in every universe. And basically, Jesus's job is to do what he did here, basically introduce the ideas of God and the and love and, and, you know, the many wonderful concepts that he brought. Peace, love, you know, love thy neighbor, all that. Uh, and he does this everywhere. And, and so that kind of supports your idea a little bit that well maybe that maybe that's what we do too maybe you know maybe we uh you know i'm a scientist here i'm a shoe maker in another place i'm an artist in another place uh, i uh beach bum on another one yeah why not uh, it's mind-boggling <laughs> or you could be a continuation of einstein yourself well, I'm, I'm writing another book, and I address some of these issues, the kind of dancing around what you're saying here. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to give away this, because it's a strange story. It's a story that started when I was 20, and it went all the way. And it's, I don't want to say it's concluding, because I have apparently a lot more to do, uh, but up to this point, I got some revelations concerning Einstein and that will re be revealed in that book. It's a, it's a real shocker, a real eye opener. And, uh, it does touch kind of on what you're bringing up here with the people doing different, you know, I don't want to say it's like all at the same time, but it, through reincarnation more, you know, we, you do it here, like he, Jesus was born here, he did his thing here, and then he's born there, he does that. And this, on the other side, it's like they're going, you know, five minutes later, you're sipping your coffee, the whole lifetime just went by. They come back, oh, I got to go, I got you know, another meeting in another lifetime. They go, you finish your coffee, you go, you know, you walk around the park, you come back, that person's coming back, oh, yeah, that was a good lifetime, I, you know, I got busy, I got to... You know, it's something like that. Something more like that kind of thing is going on. That's that's what I'm getting from some of the NDEs that I'm reading. Hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that, that story about Jesus, because there's also similar um, revelations with uh, the Buddha, too, where he was able to see infinite universes and possibilities and beings and, and all of that. Very, very, very similar. Yeah, it's apparently the superverse, which is, I include all other universes and dimensions are all in this thing, is just infinite. And we're only a fraction of what's, what reality is. And this little limited place here, we think this is all there is. And, you know, we're the center of the universe. It's laughable. We're a minuscule little piece 
of experience, you know, with a certain set of properties and characteristics that we live in here. And the universe is, the superverse is infinite. And there's all kinds of other Earths, other, you know, different various uh, universes with different spatial properties. And <laughs> and then there's spiritual universes. And, you know, holy cow, it's, it's like you're... Th- title unimaginable <laughs> you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's beyond imagination yeah <laughs> yeah like, like i always consider like, like if, if i part of the idea of my podcast was if 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 it could be imagined then it's possible at least by a human because we're not even that smart you know and, and if everything that we can imagine is possible and is actually existing somewhere Try to imagine the stuff that we can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's dizzying. I mean, you're right. It, it's it's if we can imagine it, it's probably happening somewhere. I used to wonder about like Star Wars and uh, the Hobbits. There's got to be a planet where there's Hobbits. There's got to be a planet where you know there's uh, Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere, either in this universe or another universe, you know, all, maybe the people that write these things are really pulling from the creator and saying, oh, yeah, here's a story you could write for mm-hmm. your movie. And I, I believe a lot of our inspiration comes from uh, the other side, from our spirit guides and from the creator himself, uh, just, you know, pops into our minds and you know it's our thoughts but it's more of an infusion process where we're we're actually using our imagination to connect and channel information from from the creator which there's an infinite resource there because when we get to the other side we realize that we're part of the creator and everything everything here is a part of the creator there is nothing the ether, all the atoms, and he says it to him, his himself in a um, the near death uh, of Father Rick Wendell, which is on my website, by the way. I, it's a great uh, story about his near death experience. Well, God talks to him, and he explains it. He says this: all of this three dimensional world is within God. There is nothing outside of God. Everything within this physical universe has to correspond to laws, and God set those laws. They are immutable as God is immutable. None of this, what we see and experience, is an accident. It is intentioned by God. Then he says, time does not really exist. God is outside of time. We have a perception of time in the physical world. That perception changes according to our circumstances. That pretty much sums it up. Now, those words coming from God to Father Rick Wendell when he's having his NDE experience, you could take that to the bank. (laughs) So he's basically saying, uh, Father Rick is saying that God is telling him this is a projection inside the mind of God, maybe. All of this physical stuff, all these universes, this is all a part of him. We are a part of him. It's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. But it's comforting in a way that you know you're part of a 
of a, a special thing that yeah, there's nothing, created to, there's nothing the really infinite. to worry about because yeah, we're all yeah, part of the same you, thing. You're, you're not going to die, you know. You may you're physically die, but you you never really spiritually no. die. Your consciousness, you know, goes right back. And as soon as you get there, it's like, oh, I'm home again. Mm-hmm. And this has been said over and over again by these people, and I believe them. I, I accept it as knowledge now. Not just a belief, but I've heard enough now that, hey, these people aren't all making up the yeah. same thing just for, you know, jollies. And that's They're how it felt being- and that's how it felt for me too, when I was when I was out like that. You know, it was just like I didn't want to really come back. You know, I just I Yeah, because as soon as you get there, you you're it's the surroundings and everything are so familiar because you spend almost all eternity there. Mm-hmm. You only spend, you know, a little bit of time here, even though it seems like, you know, a long time if you live a long life. When you get over there, it's, you know, our lifetime is like a few days to them. It's, yeah. like, it's like almost nothing. <laughs> and um, time is a funny beast. But um, that's a cool analogy. And uh, this also has come up like the idea, you know, like, like the creator is having a dream and he's dreaming of another being. So that creates two beings and that being falls asleep and dreams about something else, another about some more beings. And then those boy beings fall asleep and they start having their own dreams and on and on and on. There's this infinite dreams and, 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 you know, and then waking up, in the reverse way, out of them, back to the original source of that dream. It's really that kind of a all, cool idea. God is in all of those dreams, and it's all recorded. Uh, so everybody, I don't care how many dreams, I don't care if the people having dreams dream and the people dreaming those dreams have dreams, all that is recorded in the Book of Life and uh, the Akashic Record, as mm-hmm. they call it. Uh, it's... It's mind-boggling because you're dealing with an infinite intelligence and infinite power that lives eternally. There's no beginning and there's no end. This has been going on for uh, a larger time than we can even imagine. <laughs> and back to imagine again. <laughs> so if you could go forward in time, where would you go? Well, <clears throat> well, if you knew where you could go, you'd have to sample different times to see, you know, what's going on now. It's Do true. I want to be here in this time? It might. You know, it could be some radical, you know, kind of, uh, you know, something from one of these science fiction stories where. There's a soylent green, or there's you know the earth is packed with too many people and you, you can't move. Or uh, I would go where there's a good beach, and <laughs> and uh, I would just kind of you know it would be nice to have medicine more advanced where cancer is cured, and so you could live. And a lot of people say this from NDEs that someday we'll we'll live in a utopian world where you can live as long as you want two, three, four, five centuries. Uh, but eventually you just get tired of being alive 
you go lay down and your spirit just leaves your body after so many hundred years and and you go back home um somewhere like that sounds pretty good to me yeah it does how about if you were able to go back even though even if it was dangerous oh there's a part of me a nostalgic part of me that would love to go back to new jersey when i was a kid or uh i maybe coming when i first came to florida when back in 65 which i was still a kid i was only about 10 then. Mm-hmm. um it was a magical time especially that first 10 years in new jersey where you know i would play in the yard by myself mostly and um make little forts out of a blanket and some chairs and watch the snowfall and the leaves change. You know, it would be nice to be back in that time and feel all that again. The problem is you're this age mm-hmm. uh, and you're not that little kid again. You know, so time travel with a machine is not quite as good as, you know, time travel where you actually go back and you're that age again. Uh I don't know that that's been done, but I know time travel where you're at this present moment and you'd go backwards. And so there's basically, if you go back to your early life, there's two of you, the old you, just like in the, uh, the movie, um, uh, what is it called? Back to the future. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, which is a paradox because, well, wait a minute. Did you create more of something? Cause there's two of you now and you can't, create matter and energy yet now there's a you here and a you there you have to really think it through somehow that's probably not true that you're creating you're it's just you're jumping out of one segment into another time segment and um, that's apparently possible as i've come to understand so I don't know. It'd be nice to be able not only go back in time, but be a kid again. Um, It's like the old Twilight Zone kick the can episode. (laughs) (laughs) I would go back to the time of free love. That was the late 60s, early 70s. Where where you could go to an orgy and not have to worry about getting AIDS. (laughs) Um, yeah, that sounds uh, like uh, a lot of people like that. A lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for if you want to get a wife and get married. Wife ain't going to like that. <laughs> Unless she's the same way. Uh, wait, where'd my wife go? Oh, she left. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I like the 70s. I did. Yeah, I did too. I mean, I was young, you know, but... That was a good year, a good decade for music, too, boy. Oh, yeah, man. Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. All kinds of great stuff. All the best music came out in the 70s. Pretty much. Most people say the 70s. I like a, quite a bit of the 80s, too. There was just the the production, the, the equipment used was was really good in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Sound quality was excellent, the, the mixes and the um, uh, the arrangements were pretty good, but seventies overall was just a blockbuster powerhouse uh, music generation of that 
I don't think we'll ever see that again on this planet. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, it's really not that much good music anymore. Oh, no. Goodness gracious. It's hardly any. Most of it's coming from country and western now, I guess, which almost sounds like rock and roll a lot of times. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The sweet sounds of the 60s and maybe late 50s, those ballads, those old-timey songs, nice stuff. Or Freebird. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a good tune, too. Um, so before we wrap this up, where is the best place for my listeners to find you and your book? Well, that's a good question. I'm on my website, which I've been updating lately. Uh, it's www.super-relativity.com. Super-relativity.com. And on the front page, I have some buttons where you can go to the key things, my blog or my uh, uh, watch my video trailer. That's uh, for the book. That's really good. Um, there's, uh, of course, the blog. I have answers some questions like we talked about here. I just wrote them up so we have answers. I'm trying to add to that all the time. Um, Father Rick Wendell's video is on there. Uh, I even just uploaded my solution to the unified field theory. Uh, is also there with the math. It's it's quite extensive. It's about 50 pages, so it's some serious reading, but I wrote it for the layman so that they can understand what the math is actually doing, understanding the model. So that's all there on my website. That's my central hub, and there's some shows that I put over there. And um, that's where I'm at, www.super-relativity.com. Awesome. I'll put a link to that in those just episodes so my listeners can go there and check you out. And I'll also put a link to your book also. Thank you. That's excellent. So when's, the, new, when's the next book coming out? I'm, I'm thinking it's going faster than the first book, maybe a year or so. Uh, I'm setting up a lab right now, so I've kind of stopped doing the book right now to start doing experiments. I don't know if I'll put the experiments in the book, uh, but uh, because this n new book is going to be about the the spiritual stuff mm -hmm. that led up to the discovery of the super relativity. So um, maybe a year, maybe a little longer than a year. These things always seem to take a little longer than you think. <laughs> so, so what kind of experiments are you running? Uh, three types. Uh, Energy production, you need a lot of energy for um, UFO. Mm -hmm. And the anti-gravity verification experiments, basically detecting the anti-gravity field. And a uh, special type of detector I'm going to use to uh, reverse engineer UFOs. Uh, I won't say any more than that right now. That's awesome. it's, a, it's a nifty thing. Mm -hmm. it will, there will be some travel involved in order to test that particular invention out. But wow. uh, I need some information mm -hmm. from the UFO, and I can get it with this sensor. Do you have access to a UFO? Well, uh, I, I have 
Stephen Greer and some of these other people, they talk about there's places out west that they show up on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you, you can I, – I tried the CE5 thing, and, uh, and I did get a result. Yeah. So I just got to go really one of those and, you know, use the, the, the noggin and say, hey, come here. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens. It's all hmm. an adventure, Gary. This is all an adventure. You're on an adventure. Mm-hmm. I'm on an adventure. We're sharing it tonight together, you know, talking about this stuff so that people can wonder and learn and perhaps do some experiments themselves, you know, make some discoveries. Who knows? I hope so. That's the whole idea. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you again. It's a pleasure being here. I enjoy it, Gary. You keep up the good work. Welcome back anytime. And hang on one moment while I play the outro. Thank you.